Hey friend, and welcome back to the Alex Makes VR podcast. In today's episode, we're looking at the three ways to distribute your VR project. Now I know I definitely lean towards doing content around the business and mindset around creating VR. And ultimately, I think those are the backbone to having a sustainable and fulfilling career in this industry. But I thought it was important that we switch gears and talk about some of the hardcore practical pieces about being a VR professional. Because ultimately, you can create as much VR as you like, but unless you're able to distribute that to audiences, ultimately, your career is going to be pretty (laughs) short-lived. So it's important that you understand as a creative what your distribution avenues are. And in my opinion, these fall into three distinct categories. And I've really taken no time or attention to or, or you know, paid close attention to giving them good names. So you'll have to bear with me and I'm going to explain what these three models look like and what the pros and cons are. But roughly, these models break down into direct-to-consumer or direct-to-at-home audiences, remote service and location-based. These are the three big models for you as a VR creative to distribute your work. So, this doesn't matter whether you are working at in the entertainment space, in the commercial space, in the corporate space, training, marketing, whatever it is that you're doing in VR, these three still ring very true. So number one, director audiences, director consumers, whatever you want to call it. This idea is where the heavy lifting is in making the product. So you've made your experience, whatever it is and you publish it directly to one of the popular app stores. So you either publish it to Oculus's store, and so therefore anyone with an Oculus headset has a chance to just discover it on the store, or you could publish it to Steam, uh, or I believe it's called Viveport, I'm not sure, I'm not as familiar with the Vive tethered headset kind of ecosystem being an oculus girl myself but um you know that idea of publishing it to a store once and it being discoverable forever now in 360 film making you could also say the same for publishing in uh, to youtube so it's discoverable on the youtube vr app you know it's the same thing it's that idea of creating your project uploading it to a store or to a a, a website that basically it will go on to live forever and it has its own um, attention ecosystem. So for example, you don't necessarily need to be doing the heavy lifting, going out and selling it because if it's on the store and it starts to get some traction, now obviously you have to do some marketing and you have to, I'm not suggesting that you just put it up there and bam, you're a millionaire, like Beat Saber style. Um, I'm suggesting that you put it up on the store and although, yes, you will do work to drive traffic to it, to download it, ultimately it ha- it can have a life of its own. Audiences can discover it. If I'm going on Oculus and I go onto the App Store and I'm like, you know what, I fancy you know, mm, I fancy like trying to find an app that is relevant to, I don't know, learning to play the piano. So maybe I like search in the App Store piano and 
if you're if you happen to have uploaded an experience relevant to that, then you've got a chance to be discovered. Same with YouTube, you know. Um, I'm going to YouTube because I want to see a, v- a VR experience of being in a hot air balloon. And if you've created a VR experience about being in a hot air balloon, obviously you've not had to come and find me, the audience member. I've found you through searching the store or the search engine um, of like something like YouTube. So that's the first model. The pros of that model is obviously it's, it's quite evergreen. You do the project once, you upload it to the store, and you've got this kind of infinite possibilities of discovery. And it's, it takes the heavy lifting, well, all the heavy lifting off you. Okay, it's 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 the one where you can kind of reach anyone that has a VR headset. You've got the ability to reach them through that method. Now, the downside of it is you you're competing (laughs) against a lot of people and ultimately, ultimately, you are relying on a different ecosystem you know it's it's out of your control a little bit whether or not you get traffic because if oculus don't decide to feature you in the new and noteworthy app section although i think that's an apple thing <laughs> that i've just made up um then maybe you don't get the kind of coverage that you could otherwise but arguably you could go out and generate that buzz and just be like you know you do a big social media campaign and you can just direct people directly to the oculus store to download your app so you know the benefit the 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 kind of um the benefit of it is direct to people with headsets more exposure takes the pressure off you for doing all the heavy lifting for um for pushing people to it Now, the downside is you're definitely not going to be able to charge as much for those experiences. There is a ceiling. Um, Now, don't get me wrong, you can earn incredible money for your project if you put it up there and it's the right kind of project and it reaches the right kind of audiences. I mean, I think I saw something uh, in the last couple of months which was showing all the different apps that have generated over a million in revenue at this point, which is amazing for an ecosystem so small, although we are growing. Um, So, you know, your ceiling's probably about, what, 30? 30 pounds, maybe? Um, But realistically, especially if you're doing a 360 video, you're not going to be able to charge for that, really. Not unless you've got a big collection of videos that you're selling as an app. Um, and even then, maybe your ceiling price is nine ninety nine. I mean, you're competing with the likes of National Geographic and Oculus TV, which put out a lot of um, amazing 360 content for free. So realistically, you're probably not going to be able to generate that much money from doing something like that. Now, obviously, on the other end, you've got VR games, VR experiences, um, something like, you know, the Plank experience, which is a real kind of crowd pleaser, really entertaining, but so, so simple. Uh, you know, I'm sure something like that, even though I think the last time I checked that was like fifteen ninety nine on the App Store, something like that, you know, low cost generally, but it was it's such a kind of simple experience and it's such a novel, great use of VR that that kind of experience would be generating, oh, I have no idea, but I would hazard a guess hundreds of thousands of downloads. Um, so it really depends. It really depends. But let's move on to the next, the next distribution method, which is remote service. So this is kind of, um, 
a model where you are creating like an APK or an MP4 file or whatever your experience is. But instead of publishing it to the store, you are basically um, selling it almost as a product directly to someone and you will send them the file as a kind of sideloading thing. Um, so, for example, instead of uploading it to Oculus and having to go through that arduous process of being approved for the store, you have an APK, which once you've sold it to someone, you would then send them the file and they can sideload it on um, just directly to the headset. So the benefit already is that you don't have to go through the process of uh, being approved for the store. It also changes the, the, the kind of the way that you would sell this project and also removes the cap of what someone might be willing to pay for it. Um, and that's because you are going directly to that person. So the way that you're kind of offering that value proposition is totally different to just the average consumer seeing your app on an app store and thinking, oh yeah, I'll have a, I'll, I'll have a go on that. No, no, no. This model is more for like, let's say I've created an unconscious bias training program and I'm selling it into corporations. I'm selling it for maybe thousands of pounds a pop. Uh, and in, I shouldn't have done that because I've literally just they always say don't pop your peas don't they and I'm now literally popping my peas all over the place into this little iPhone microphone so I'm sorry if this is blowing up your speakers however you're listening to this podcast right now but anyway um you know I'm selling my unconscious bias training program and I'm selling it for thousands of pounds because I'm selling the value proposition of transforming employees understanding of unconscious bias promoting better workplace diversity blah 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 like it's a totally different value proposition. So all of a sudden that same APK that would, you know, a stretch, I mean, it wouldn't really have a place on a kind of public app store or something like that. But if I were to sell that on the app store for, you know, £22, I'm not going to get hundreds of pounds for that even on, on an app store, on a public app, app store. But all of a sudden I'm creating the leads, I'm, cre- I'm generating the interest and generating the sales for that product. But it's still remote in the sense of the organisation you're selling it into would already have the capability to facilitate VR experiences. So these are going to be like innovative companies or innovation teams within a bigger company. So, you know, the majority of big companies at this point will have access to VR headsets. I guarantee it. And even if they don't personally own them, they will be working with agencies or consultancies that will have access to them. So one of... I've spoken many times about one of my favorite and biggest clients, PwC. They have a whole team and they've got several teams across the world who focus specifically on VR and AR. And they literally own hundreds, if not more than that at this point, VR headsets. So if I went to them and said, hey, I've got this uh, unique experience where you can, um, I don't know, let's use a different example you can be a war correspondent and understand, I don't know, it's health and safety training for for war correspondents. Um, And it's an APK package that comes with, you know, seven different modules. 
do you have any clients interested in it? You know, I could sell that into their team and then they can go on and sell it to their clients because they've already got the infrastructure. They've got the VR headsets. They've got the team to be able to facilitate it. Or if you were selling it directly to something like a news publisher, they've already got access to the VR headsets. They just want to buy the, uh, the content from you. And so the benefits is that you're getting the benefit of not having to be there in person. It's that um, remoteness that is is highly desirable, especially in a post-pandemic world. But you're able to charge a higher ticket price and you're able to control A, who gets access to your project and be a, a higher ticket price because of the way that you're selling it. Now, like I say, um, that's just an example for a corporate environment, like a training kind of project, which, you know, enterprise still leading the charge for VR at the moment. But let's let's change gears a little bit and talk about how that would work in terms of uh, like an entertainment or an arts project. Well, it's the same story. It's just that you would approach organisations that you know have a history of putting on VR exhibitions. So for example, the Barbican or the Tate or on a smaller level, local independent cinemas who have run VR pop-ups or local art galleries that have had VR installations before. And this obviously comes with a little bit of research and a little bit of knowledge of your market. But you could approach these people, these organisations that you know have the capability of doing this. So they're not new to VR, but they would be seeking content. And you can distribute directly into them, again, with a remote model. So you sell them the content once, then they're free to do what they want with it. They can charge uh, ticket prices. They can, you know, have it for a certain amount of time, however you want that model to look. But again, you're just selling them the APK file or the MP4. You're selling them the experience. You're not selling them your time or the the facilitation of a VR event. Um, A version of this if you t- if you remove the money from it uh, and just focus on getting your piece to audiences, this model is the film festival model. So that idea of you submit to a film festival and if Can XR say yes, we want your piece, you don't then have to organise the showing of it. You just send them the APK and they deal with the you know getting the people in to see it. They deal with putting on the VR exhibition. So that's the remote service model. And again, th- this is probably my favourite combination of all, but the, the thing it relies heavily on is someone else having experience of facilitating a VR event because ultimately the end goal is for then that to be your piece to be shown in a group setting or kind of distributed to a very specific audience at a specific time rather than the evergreen of putting it on an app store and someone just downloading it at their leisure on a on an at-home kind of VR headset. So that's the second model, remote service. And then the last one, which I'm sure you can already guess what it is, location-based. Location-based. So we've talked about direct-to-consumer, aka going directly to someone at home. We've talked about that middle ground of going to a location, kind of distributing to a location, but without having to actually be the one to put on the showing. You're just giving them the content, remote service. Now, location-based is obviously where you are 
are going after an entirely new audience to VR. Now, you can go directly to audiences, like the, the actual end audience, or you can go to an organization and team up to bring new audiences to it. But either way, the central premise of this business model is that you are the one having to facilitate the VR session. You are organizing and dealing with the logistics of putting on the VR showing uh, or experience, whatever it is, whether it's training. So I've done several things before for um, big global companies that want to look at VR, but they don't really understand it properly and they definitely don't have the capabilities in-house. So they'll pay me to come in and do a VR demo session with their teams. So I organise hiring all the headsets in. I organise what projects we're going to be showing, usually my own, (laughs) of course. Um, And we put on a big kind of VR demo day where I go in and I, you know, I do all the logistics of charging the headsets. I have team members in with me to help you know people who've never used VR before because remember that's one of the biggest things when someone's never used VR before is getting them comfortable showing them how to use it being there to troubleshoot um so it's very time intensive it's very service-based it's very um it's very logistical but this is the best way to reach people that have never heard of VR before. This is the best way to bring new people into our ecosystem. This is how we start to get people to really value this technology. And nine times out of 10, once someone's used VR, depending on what experience they have, they will usually be like, wow, like I totally get that. The amount of people that have tried VR for the first time and then gone, holy crap, that's the future. And all of a sudden they are sold on it. And most likely they'll then think about going and purchasing a VR headset. Um, (laughs) Just a little side note, a little gimmick I used to do when I was pitching uh, for big clients, I would um, get a load of cardboard VR headsets made up and I would get them branded with my logo. And then when I was like pitching to a board uh, kind of meeting I would just give every single person on the board a VR headset like a little cardboard one I would show them the proper the decent stuff you know I'd take in the the Oculus Quests or the you know at the time it was the goes uh showing them some kind of proper really meaty VR experiences but then I would be like you know if you're not (laughs) if it's something that you you want to have a go at home or you want to explore maybe you want to use it with your kids if you've got kids whatever it might be and you don't want to go out and spend hundreds of pounds on a headset, try this, you know, this is a super easy way to experience VR, download something like, um, I can't remember what it's called now, but the Google, is it Expeditions? Google Expeditions? There's like an app on Google where it's like loads of different experiences. You can go visit ancient Rome and it's a lot of like 360 content. You can also do some AR on that app as well, but it's basic, a really basic way of getting people to interact with VR content if they're not ready to kind of go out and purchase something like a quest to begin with. Um, so you know, this location-based model is not going to be the most profitable, but it is going to be the best route to audiences that would not otherwise have access to VR. It's going to give you access to a whole new market. It's going to be much easier for you to kind of deliver the VR experience because you have complete control end-to-end of the distribution. You know, it's not left in anyone else's hands. It's not just sitting on a store. It's not an APK that you've sent to 
someone that could go wrong and you're hoping that they are good facilitators of VR, you have complete control. This is the model for the control freaks, basically, like myself. You create the experience and you sell the experience as a package with the showing of the VR. So say, for example, I create a VR film. I then organize pop-up VR cinemas with locations. I pay maybe a location fee or maybe I give them a percentage of the ticket price. I then hire in the VR headsets. I market to uh, audiences to come to check out the VR. I charge them a ticket price. Maybe I combine it with a workshop or a, a Q&A or whatever it is to kind of... Um, make it much more valuable to an audience coming. And, uh, you know, I actually facilitate and deliver the VR experience. I have staff maybe that help, help deliver the experience. And this way, this way is, like I say, it's not the most profitable because it is the most logistically and time intensive. But it also gives you a really great opportunity as a creative and this isn't talked about that often, it gives you a unique opportunity as a creative to get direct feedback on your project, whether it's a corporate or an entertainment piece. If you're delivering a training experience and you're there on the front line watching employees go through it, you can hear the conversations they're having after. You can watch them as they interact with the VR content. That is invaluable as a VR. VR creative. And I've said time and time again on this podcast that one of the most useful things for myself as a director has been delivering VR experiences. I can see where people are looking. I can see the different kind of audiences and what they respond to. I can understand where, uh, you know, 90% of the time a moving shot makes people feel sick. Oh, that was too fast. That was too speedy of an edit. People didn't understand that they were supposed to look here when I wanted them to. That is the most invaluable kind of feedback that you can get as a creative to inform your practice going forward. And I know that's not cool and sexy for most artists to think, oh, you know, taking audience feedback to inform your creative practice. You know, we would much prefer to be like, you know, I'm going to execute on my vision, darling, and then whatever will be, will be. People can think what they want because I know I'm a genius. (laughs) For me personally, I much prefer creative creating something, watching how people interact with it, and for that to then inform my practice going forward. So there's loads of added benefits of doing location-based. But like I say, it's the most time-intensive, but you have the most control over that distribution. It's also the least scalable, obviously, because it's so time-dependent, and it's it's expensive to put on location-based stuff. Um, If you're thinking about delivering to a VR arcade or somewhere that has a permanent VR exhibition kind of like feature, that is obviously much easier. You can charge a bit more of a premium, but also not have to deal with the logistics and the time commitment that it takes to do your own VR events. But that model is more the remote service model because you're selling it into somewhere else that has the capability of running VR um, itself. So let's quickly recap. And I hope this has been helpful. Please please let me know if this has been helpful. Reach out to me. As always, it's Alex Makes VR on all of the social medias. DM me. Send me an email, alexmakesvr at gmail.com. 
let me know if this was helpful because I want to understand what kind of content would be the most useful to you guys because ultimately in order for us to grow this industry we have to have a lot of happy successful satisfied fulfilled creatives and the only way to do that is if you guys are understanding and getting value about how to do certain things and learning from people that have you know maybe been through the ringer and failed epically and and now understand the challenges that come along with all this the practical side of stuff so reach out to me and let me know um, if this is helpful but let's quickly recap so the three big distribution models direct to audiences so you publish once and then you whether it's youtube vr or whether it's um uh, oculus store or whether it's uh, steam you publish once and audiences can download it at their pleasure this is targeted at mainly the at home market people that already have access to vr headsets number two remote service my personal favorite because it's that sweet spot of being able to charge a bit of a premium have a bit of control over who's consuming the content but also removes the time pressure and the commitment and logistical nightmare of having to do it yourself so remote service and last but not least location based where you are end to end delivering the vr experience literally you are on the ground boots on the ground strapping people's headsets on helping people turn the volume up you know reminding people to swivel in their chairs you are on the ground um doing the kind of like you know hand-to-hand combat with audiences and that is probably one of the most fun and most educational for VR creatives I recommend everyone does it at some point um, but also obviously has a few drawbacks as well but it is the best if you if you want to get to an audience that wouldn't otherwise have access to a VR headset so those are the big three I hope this was helpful let me know If you wouldn't mind taking a few minutes just to screenshot the podcast, posting it on your socials and tagging me, I'm going to do a giveaway at some point soon because I know you'll love a good giveaway. And actually, I was debating giving away one of my first 360 cameras because I know some of you listening, um, even though you listen to this, you probably don't even maybe own the equipment to be able to get started on this journey. Uh, And I've, I've got so many cameras that I don't use anymore um, that could be really helpful. So let me know if that would be of interest. I'll probably do some kind of giveaway in relation to sharing the podcast because that really helps get the word out, gets gets people listening to the podcast and he- helps them get on their journey. So let me know if that would be interesting as well. That's it from me this week. Thank you so much for taking time, precious time out of your day to listen to the podcast. And I will speak to you next week.